Idea Bordello with me, your host, Roy Mute Brole. The Idea Bordello is my podcast and the space wherein I have interesting and captivating conversations with some of the world's finest and most interesting minds. Thank you so much for downloading or streaming this podcast, and I hope you have a really great time listening to me and my guests wax lyrical on a myriad of different topics. This week's episode is with the ultra talented and handsome, magical Molitane Mopete. Molitane is the founder and CEO of MobTech Industries, a water treatment consultancy and innovation firm that helps organizations and communities secure and improve their drinking water. We discuss a myriad of topics ranging from the future of EVs and the role that water has to play in them, Molitane's childhood and the village in the mountain kingdom of Lesotho, the insanity of states and corporate partnerships, wines, books, and even guerrilla astronomy. It's one hell of a ride and I really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Please take the time to rate this podcast at the end of your listen. And as always, stay wise and condomize. And don't forget, go to therapy. Now, without any more interruptions, here's my chat with the magical, the marvelous, and the mystical Molitane Mopete. Molitane. Hi. Thanks so much for sitting down. Thank you for taking the time to be with me. Awesome, awesome. Do you mind uh, introducing yourself and just letting the wonderful people at home know who you are? And uh, yeah. Sure, yeah, as, as you've mentioned, um, I'm Moletzane, uh, originally born in Lesotho, moved to South Africa for varsity, and between Lesotho and South Africa, I lived in Egypt, and yeah, I studied uh, chemical engineering. I manage and run, as well as own, uh, MapTech Industries, mm -hmm. which is a process engineering consulting company. Big lover of wine, love good food, mm -hmm. uh, and books in general. Cool, cool. Yeah. Do you mind giving us a bit of information uh, about MopTech and what you guys do there? Sure, yeah. So I've, as I've mentioned, we're a process engineering consultancy. Mm -hmm. And we specialize in water, wastewater, and environmental hazards. Mm -hmm. So we've divided the business into sort of three pillars, consulting, technology, as well as community. So community deals with uh, pro bono uh, issues that you know, we, we feel are important to community needs, yeah. whether it's helping them have access to potable water through drilling boreholes, or helping schools which don't have access to electricity um, mm -hmm. with uh, biogas through digestion, and uh, by virtue of that, having you know, the ability to cook their food as well as keep the lights on. So it, it differs really what the community need is, but as I say, it's, it's pro bono. So that's the community part. The technology part is really aimed at uh, supporting the consulting part. So we develop IP which supports our consulting practices. Sometimes we uh, have issues or problems that we face with clients that are better suited um, in us developing our own IP mm. to tackle them. And that's really what the technology part is. The consulting part is, yeah, <laughs> is consulting. Yeah, so yeah. we consult on all matters, uh, water, wastewater, and environmental hazards. Uh -huh. That could be through just providing professional services in terms of advice, advice or um, through turnkey solutions. So that really depends. Okay. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's a whole range. You know, when people think uh, water, wastewater, they're thinking, you know, municipal water, drinking water, and sewage. Mm, mm. But it's actually quite broader than that. Uh, you know, we service a whole host of industries 
mm. mining, pharmaceuticals, agriculture, as well as SMMEs like car washes. So it, it really depends. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Exciting. And you started mop taking in 2018, right? Yeah. End of 2018. Okay. And you just got straight out of university. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> tell me that story. Because I, I, I walked a similar path. Okay. And I can tell, I know how jarring it is. Sure. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I suppose the three reasons why that happened, um, if, if we're being honest. Mm. I've always wanted to start my own um, company simply because I would be in charge of my time and mm. where I put value in the skills that I can provide and what's important to me. So that was the first, you know, that's, that's the real first uh, objective. Uh, the second one was, you know, I grew up in Lesotho and I grew up in a village. Uh, luckily for me, you know, we were quite fortunate and my family was, uh, you know, doing well. So we had access to water and electricity, but some of the, you know, community members around us didn't have access to water and electricity and you know some of them used either well water or boreholes which are essentially community uh, wells which are yeah. dug and attached to a tap and you know looking back we never actually even no one actually even tested if that water was drinkable but um because <laughs> tia baby yeah, exactly <laughs> because everyone was fine and been drinking it yeah. for 40 50 years we just assumed that mm. yeah it was okay so you know i realized that I was fortunate enough to not to be in that situation, but uh, you know, it's not everyone who has the luxury of not having or being able to have you know those basic necessities and amenities like access to running potable water and electricity. So yeah, I took it upon myself to you know when I have the chance to to make a change. Uh, and the third reason, really, if I'm being honest, I had originally wanted to. Um, you know, start working for a company, um, you know, understand what it takes to be in the industry, learn mm. the ropes and perhaps have a mentor. But uh, yeah, I, I looked for some job opportunities which aligned with my values and I really couldn't find them. Mm. And apart from, you know, just staying home or being sucked in or absorbed into a company culture that I didn't like, I, I figured I might as well start mop taking my journey. Okay. Yeah. No, no, interesting. Yeah. So something that um, resonated a bit with me, you said you wanted to provide skills for people as well. I mean, does that necessarily mean that you have a inclination or desire to educate people, or do you feel that you just have the kind of personality that lends itself to educating and uplifting people? A bit of both. So okay. definitely the second part that you've mentioned, but the yeah. first part in terms of education, uh, yes, indirectly. Uh -huh. So I consider water and wastewater an intersection or an access or access way. Yeah. Um, to, to other issues in society. Um, it's a very radical piece of scientific social justice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. as I've said, you know, people think water, wastewater, you know, sewage, Correct. drinking water, yeah. or mining. But if you take a closer look and you sort of hone in, and, and I'll, I'll give you a few examples of um, how water intersects with, with, with social culture and societies. Mm, mm. In Lesotho, for example, uh, you know, if you're not looking at uh, professionals and you're looking at either blue collar workers or what the average person does to in order to be able to have food on the table or you know to, to sell it's really farming you know whether it's uh, livestock or if it's it's agriculture it, mm. it's, it's farming and what do you need for either livestock or agriculture whether it's substance subsistence or commercial you need access to water mm. and what tends to happen or what has happened in, in the past is that in a family structure you will have the dad and you will have the mother and you'll have the children who are both male and female Mm. And, you know, all things being even uh, and everything going well, both of the kids will go to school, but the, the, the boy will have, I suppose, male responsibilities in the cultural sense. 
you know, that's uh, herding the cattle and making sure that they have food and, you know, the girl will have her responsibilities, which is, you know, cooking, making sure that there's mm -hmm. water and all of that. But what tends to happen is when there's a drought or where there's no access to water, the families now have, are put in a situation where, you know, that their livestock die because there's nothing to drink and so do their crops. So they have nothing to eat or have nothing to sell. What then ends up happening is that in some families, then they decide, okay, well, you know, we have a daughter. Um, we're going to, you know, get her to get married yeah. in exchange for Lobola. Correct. And that Lobola now then, you know, sort of maintains the rest of the family members and that, you know. Monetizing your children. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you said it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that leads to a whole host of, 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 of cultural and societal issues. Okay. Early childhood marriages. Correct. And increase in... HIV and AIDS because some of these girls really aren't, you know, they're not looked after, they're not taken yeah. care of, no one really cares. And um, yeah, early childbirths. So it's a, it's a complex construct where um, if you look at, you know, the path and what really was the source or the cause yeah. is an access, is an, you know, stable access to water. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. It was going to lead very nicely to my next question because okay. you're from Lesotho, yes. right? The Mountain yeah. Kingdom. Yes. Okay. I know this because <laughs> my father's side of the family. Okay. Like some very like uh, weird way it's related to Lesotho, <laughs> right. and um, huge fan of the country. Okay, um, it really is have like. You, have you know, been there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so like I said, my dad's side of the family came from there. So many years ago, we had a get to know how black you are tour of Lesotho, <laughs> <laughs> and I found out some really interesting things. Primarily that I can barely speak Lesotho compared to people from Lesotho. But what was also interesting was understanding the relationship between mountains mm -hmm. and rainfall, and how Lesotho being a mountain kingdom has privy to quite a substantial amount of rainfall every single year as a consequence of being mm. a mountain kingdom. Yeah. But also as a consequence of that, uh, something like fresh water, as you were talking about earlier growing up, we just get water from this well every single day and no one mm -hmm. ever tested it was clean. There's a, high, there's a high concentration of it, right? So if you're, if you're from like KZN or, or Lesotho, you know, like the, the luxury of Uthama or the, the Drakensberg Mountains is enormous mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, it provides, you know, consistent rainfall. So much yeah. so that sometimes you even get flooding. Sure. You know, hashtag shout out to Derbs right now. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? This is being recorded on, what, the 28th of May, 2020, 2022? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, back yeah, to the original question. Right. So, like, it's really interesting that someone from Lesotho, mm -hmm. you know, who comes in a very, you know, rich water country would pursue a, a, a career in... What if what a treatment and purification, almost as if like this 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 very deep uh, nationalistic <laughs> identity around water? Because yeah. I'm from Joburg, right? Yeah. So like Lesotho is like literally keeping me alive every sure. single day. Yeah. If it wasn't for Lesotho, I would be dead, like literally, because all my water comes from Lesotho. You know what I mean? So um, hypothetically speaking, mm -hmm. you know, it's 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 interesting for me because it's like. It's like it's like someone from like Germany being going into beer, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's still, like you know what I mean. So it's it's, it's fascinating, and I know a lot okay. of people from Lesotho. But as I was hearing the story, I was like, oh my god, I, that, that, it's the first time I ever thought that like you know, Lesotho and water are almost you can't remove one from the other. You know, that's it's like true. Brazil and football, except in this instance, it's literally can't be removed from yeah. it. You know, so so that, that's always interesting to see how one's national identity can inform one's career. I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, I think okay. you're, yeah. No, no, awesome, quite awesome. Right. And, and tell me, what was it like growing up in Lesotho? What was your childhood like? Because it sounds incredibly idyllic. And that's something about Lesotho that I yeah. hate and love at the same time. Is every single time I go there, I tell myself, I need to live here all the time. <laughs> and then, like, it's, there's just limitations of infrastructure that make me want to go back to my so, know, yeah, that is, internet. That is, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, that is, a, that is a big limitation, um, infrastructure. Uh -huh. But I, I must say it was, it was a happy childhood. It was a peaceful childhood. Mm -hmm. um, you know, crime then was 
really not a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, community members were supportive, and everyone's, you know, at, at that point in time was quite polite. I mean, even now when I bring my friends mm. uh, to Lesotho, they're always just shocked at how polite everyone is, you mm -hmm. know, cutting into line, someone will ask you nicely. Mm. Yes. You know, so yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a very, um, it's a very polite and, and still quite cultured um, society. Mm -hmm. I would say, especially when you compare it to the Joburg life. Chosy streets, mama. Chosy streets. I don't know if that's a function of perhaps Joburg having a whole host of different traditions and cultures. Okay, so, okay. You know, Zulus, Kozas, Sotos, Bedis. Uh, Afrikaners. Exactly. Or you know, Anglo-Saxons. You know. Or if you know, people here are just on the move with the focus of making money. Yeah. Um, I think I think Joburg is also like a very inhospitable city oh. um, geographically. Okay. And that I think rubs off on um, the people itself because Joburg is quite a tough area to live in. Yeah, I mean, you, you also see this. Uh, so when I go on holiday um, to the coast, whether it's it's Cape Town or or yeah. Umsanga, you know, it's everyone's very relaxed, very yeah. laid back, and then yeah. you come to Joburg and it's just horns yeah. and swearing and yeah, yeah, 150, 160 on the on the on the highway. So it's yeah. it's almost like Dubai. Okay. It's like it's like people in Dubai tend to be like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Fucking awful. <laughs> and I always remind myself that these people are awful because they're living in a city in the middle of the desert, which is literally inhospitable. But you you'd know. be surprised uh, the extents in which they've gone to to make that desert hospitable, both in terms of energy and water. You'd I mean, be surprised it's... the extents that I've gone to make myself look like Michelle Obama. But no one calls me <laughs> Michelle Obama, you know? <laughs> okay. I'm just yeah. throwing it out there. Okay. At the end of the day, there's certain limitations of human like intellect mm. in the current era that we live in. And trying to build a city in the middle of the desert makes no sense to me, personally. But that being said, uh, I don't think anyone cares what I have to think about it. Or, but still, <laughs> nonetheless, it's interesting to, to look at that as a potential influencer to people's behavior, is the, the geography of a city. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and like, tell me, as someone from Lesotho, mm -hmm. um, who's now in what I would call like the hard science space, because you're doing relatively inaccessible uh, work, you think oh, so? Not. Well, I mean, not, not inaccessible, but in the sense that, like, even, like, my friends who are in, like, machine learning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I can, I can explain to people very, very, like, bluntly what, what they do. What they do. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, with you, it's like, it's like water stuff, you know? Mm. And, like, yeah, I mean, that's generally what I, yeah. what I, what <laughs> yeah, I get. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he has, he's, I mean, he's into waters, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which can mean, like, almost anything yeah. if you don't pay, if they don't ask the second question. Definitely. The first question is just water stuff. Second question is he works at Avion, you know, <laughs> but it's not yeah, in this instance, no. you know. Yeah. No, so, so, and like, and like speaking back to that, um, you know, I, I think water scarcity is a major concern for the gross population, like majority of the human population, mm -hmm. especially considering we're living through such wild and uh, effervescent times in terms of client, climate, not client. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why I said FFS in there either. Anyway, back to the original question. I get, I get yeah, where yeah, you're yeah. going though. Yeah, yeah. FFS, you like that. <laughs> <laughs> so like, my question is, I like, what do you think our current um, solutions and strategies are around like the maintenance of water sources is currently not necessarily like what it actually is, but what do you think our like um, our, our general attitude towards water scarcity is in relation to the availability? Whereas like energy, energy is always top of mind, right? Mm -hmm. So like when it comes to climate issues, like the first thing that everyone always talks about is energy above all else, mm -hmm. right? 
but like very rarely do you ever get like very deep into water mm. because there's this very like uh, natural response to say that well there's just water of course it'll just mm. be around and available worst case scenario it'll just come more for come from the sky but the reality situation is that we are living in a much more precarious state right but so, yeah, just to cu- just to cut you off before you sort yeah. of finish your question I, I liked where you were going talking about climate and energy yeah uh, and then, you know, sort of having water on the side. Yeah. Um, I've realized, and I think a lot of people also can you know, perhaps subscribe to this, that in general, I mean, even most governments, world governments, uh, consider uh, climate and energy sort of directly linked and, mm. you know, their mm. main focus in terms of the green economy and, and renewable energy to avoid um, mm. or to sort of minimize carbon emissions is focused on, on energy. Yeah. But let's take a step back and see if we can sort of, you know, link uh, water into that. Then I'll answer your question as well. But no, no, please, please. Um, In terms of energy and the green economy, you know, uh, going to zero carbon emissions, we have, you know, we have solar that, you know, is, is a big thing currently. And we have electric vehicles. Mm. Right. How are electric vehicles manufactured? What, I mean, what typically, what's the main component that you would need? It's a battery, a lithium yeah. battery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a little bit of catalytic converters and sure. you know, like bodies and so on and so forth. And, so yeah. in order to mine and manufacture those metals, um, lithium, as well as cobalt and nickel, which are key to the cathodes and anodes yeah. of, yeah. of the lithium battery, you need a mine. Correct. Right. Shout out to Chile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's actually where this is going. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, in a, this is actually fascinating. I, I must reference, I read this uh, in an article written by Isle Utilities, which is also, which are, you know, it's a company also in the, in the water space. Mm. But, you know, they said something interesting. They said, we, you know, we, our focus is on, on the electric vehicles and, and we don't look at the circular, circular economy. Mm. You know, in order to get these metals and mine them, you need a constant and stable supply of water at these yeah. mines. Yeah. Right. And if our focus is going to be moving away from carbon emissions, whether it's in terms of petroleum or diesel, uh, and going to electric vehicles, we need to mine more. We need to have sustainable mining, and we need to have access to water to be able to mine these metals in order to produce these um, lithium batteries yeah. and yeah. Um, resulting cathodes and anodes. But you'd be surprised that most of the mines that have actually been considered or that are operating in order to produce these metals um, aren't water sustainable. Um, you know, they're either in, in drought-stricken areas. Chile. Chile. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's not a long-term strategy in order to consider what then happens when we can't, you know, sustainably mine these ores in order to create these electric vehicles, which are, you know, the, the solution or one of the primary yeah, components yeah, yeah. into uh, climate change and, 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 um, and mitigating that. So It's almost ironic, right? Yeah. So, because you know, you, you need to sort of get a lens and, and uh, perhaps look at the circular picture and, you know, say, OK, if this is a, you know, if this is a life cycle and I'm starting with the mine in order to, uh, you know, extract ore, what do I need to have the mine? I mm. need water. So those are some of the things, you know, that I, I like to sort of have a look at and focus on and, you know, make sure that there's sustainable uh, life cycles in all of these um, aspects. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the easy takeaway from that that you can quickly like do the math on is the the worst the, the less likely the less sustainability there is in their like water supply in these mm. mines the more that's going to become a problem over the long term 
which means that the more that these mines are going to have to outsource that problem with sure. a very expensive solution, which in turn will mean that these battery packs will get more expensive as a consequence of the lithium getting more expensive. Do you see where this is going? Which results in the cars being more expensive, which means that we just keep on going back to gasoline vehicles. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a very holistic way to look at it, and it's very so, three-dimensional. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting question. That's, a, that's an interesting way to lead into my next question, which is, what do you think allows someone to have the ability to, to, to look at problems from a three-dimensional lens as opposed to a two-dimensional lens? Because it's very natural to think in a linear fashion mm. and like, you know, A plus B, you know, equals A plus B, you know, as opposed to thinking, well, you know, like, the, the, you need to consider the equation as, as a whole and like, you know, solve for A and solve for B before yeah. you can truly understand what exactly is going on here. And I mean, like, as an engineer, do you yeah. not think that you were like almost, uh, you, you had some like kind of like, uh, performance enhancement around that because your entire degree <laughs> performance yeah because <enhancement. laughs> your entire degree is, is really about like looking at yeah. um, you yeah. know the holistic solutions and you know so I think three, thinking things through three dimensionally yeah absolutely I, I think I think there are you know there are two types of people there are people who are naturally born with that inclination hmm. and then the people who learn that at at school or at varsity through the specific uh, degrees that they choose hmm. and i mean this is not to say that if you are naturally born with this you can't hone in or hmm. enhance it as you as you call it um, hmm. through through education correct um, but yeah i think i think most critical thinking um, degrees um, so your engineering your sciences hmm. um, i suppose even other you know financially um, inclined degrees uh, as well as economics and 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 the, the likes, um, as long as there's rigorous thinking and 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 a process method, yeah. In you know, so rather than being taught to to solve a specific problem, um, you know, th the logic is that you're taught to understand how to think, correct, um, and analyze. So yeah, I would agree with you. I would think that engineering had a large part in being able to. See you the know, solution. Yeah. So yeah, what you what you look at it as a top down, you know, design and break it down so that it becomes uh, a fully um, three dimensional um, 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 solution. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would agree. Okay. I would say it has a lot to do with 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 the skills that I was uh, given okay. um, through engineering. Do you do any work in the desalination space? No, not yet. But I would, I would really, uh, I'd really like to get into yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. D just to go back to your your question, because I only answered it in, in part about yeah. the water and the climate change. Um, what's also interesting is our focus, really, when I was talking about solar in terms of producing energy, um, is also not related as well to water. I mean, if you look at biogas mm -hmm. and you look at digestion, which is basically the production of of gas that you can get from, uh, you know products which have an organic content. Mm. And I mean, that's also a source of fuel. That's also a source of generation, possible generation of, of, of either electricity or, or energy. Mm. And, you know, we always sort of exclude that and our focus is really um, solar and, and electric vehicles. And I think there's a lot that can be done in the, in the water space in general um, in order to actually play our part in, in climate change and zero net carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. There was also a study that was done uh, that talked about and rather compared the amount of um, total emissions that are produced by shipping companies uh, through their freights um, as a percentage of, you know, the total amount. Of, yeah, yeah. Of, and you can also throw in, uh, what's it called, um, these gigantic floating portaloos, what are they called? Uh, like those... 
Like cruise ships, cruise okay, ships. Okay, cruise yeah, ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Com commercial, like tourist ones? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so they were focusing on that and they compared it to, you know, the amount of um, carbon emissions that are produced by water treatment plants. And they found that they're actually quite comparable. Mm. I think the, 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 style, the study by IELTS said it's about 2% of the total. Mm. Um, and they found that, you know, in some of these wastewater treatment plants, you can actually reduce some of the carbon emissions by simply optimizing, um, you know, the current equipment that's there or even modifying it with other innovative solutions. So there are lots of ways which we can really try and reduce our, you know, our, our carbon footprint and focus more on the green economy okay. through water. Yeah, okay. sorry, I just wanted to go no, back no, no, there no, because no. It it's was interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, like the problem with the green economy for me is that its name itself suggests that it's <laughs> in some way precluded from the economy, as opposed to looking at it as just like economically more efficient solutions, right? Okay. And like in South Africa, you see that a lot, where it's like we have this huge, like weird uproar around um, private energy generators, and then like only now in like twenty twenty two are they now legal. Which, you know, mind my French, is fucking bad shit crazy. You yep. know what I mean? In such an energy insecure country. Policies, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, but policies are like revolve primarily around like assholes, right? Like, <laughs> like it's like <laughs> some dickbag somewhere made a decision for this that like is now like essentially means that we have to sit in the dark for three hours every day because of supposed, you know, load shedding. So, 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 so it's interesting. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you interface with the state at all with your work? Uh, no, not yet. I, I haven't had uh, any projects um, that I've, yeah, okay. not yet. But uh, we are open to, to have uh, meaningful discussions. Have you looked at maybe interfacing with some municipalities in the Western Cape, maybe? No, but... Uh, they they we seem to be taking a much more, uh, what's it called, like, uh, standalone, like, almost uh, independent city-state approach towards governance. And, like, you're seeing, like, Cape Town trying to win itself <laughs> off ESCOM, and they're yeah. trying to buy PRASA... So, like, if anyone seems to be open to not utilizing traditional states' uh, initiatives, it seems to I be think, a I think they're I think they're more open to innovation um, than, than we are down here, or yeah. up here, I suppose it is. And um, I would say that because, you know, one of the projects that I, I did, which is related to my IP, was actually testing some of this IP in, in the Western Cape mm. um, through some of their research and development uh, wings in their water treatment plants. Yeah. And, yeah, they were much more open-minded in, in terms of, you know, allowing and facilitating us to do tests and, and, and you know, optimizations on their current processes. Okay. Um, whereas, you know, here I sort of struggled to get a foothold in. So yeah, I mean that it, that could play a definitely a part in terms of you know how open-minded um, individuals who, you know, are in this space. I mean, some people are consider themselves caretakers of, you know, a specific sector or space and they, you know, allow or don't allow people to come into the space where other people right. create a sense of inclusiveness yeah. where collaboration is more of, you know, what they look for rather than uh, monitoring who comes in and out if I can say okay yeah no, no, interesting interesting yeah you think also as like a, as a black solo founder in like a hard tech space the state would be a lot more open towards you but I think we can both attest to the fact that a so, lot of solar state, founder uh, black black founders okay, right? yeah, okay yeah. yeah um the state can attest to that we can both attest to the fact that a lot of the initiatives that the state claims support people of color, especially in the entrepreneurial space, generally either tend to be lip service or highly concentrated amongst a very specific class of people and network of people. So uh, it's quite disappointing to hear that. But at the same time, I think it's even more disappointing to believe that, right? 
And I think as an entrepreneur, you get that luxury to not believe in many things. Because <laughs> you see, you have to see things through. You know? Yes, no, that's true. So, uh, sometimes I ask myself if perhaps I'm looking in the wrong places for financing mm. for some of the projects. Or, um, and I suppose it touches a bit on what we had at the founders meeting on Thursday. Mm. You know, what, what the stereotypical, uh, you know, company or project should be for a VC in order to be able, you know, to be funded by a, a yeah. venture capital company. You know, we talked about that a bit. You know, some VCs have a sort of specific outlook in terms of what, what, you know, what sector and what, what type of project they're looking for and yeah. how much money, you know, they want to make, which is fair. Um, but what we did say is that, you know, the expectation is that usually, you know, to make a lot of money in the short term and, you know, there are not a lot of companies that have that ability to make, you know, become a unicorn and generate ridiculous amount of money in, in the short term. Whereas there are much more or a lot more companies which could have a, a sustainable, you know, growth um, curve over the long term. So yeah, and also like the underlying product might necessarily like might actually improve society as a whole. Sure. So like there needs to be funding instruments that can support innovations and technologies that aren't necessarily gonna make anyone a billionaire, but will you know do small things like save people's lives. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think uh, that's small, but yeah. I, also, I suppose the other the other thing you know we need to consider in that in these large corporate structures, you know, the the comp turns very slowly. Um, and perhaps it takes time for them to catch on to what, what is currently considered innovation and technology that can benefit us. Why do you think that is? I think it's all the red tape. I think it's all the loops and you know, the, all of these uh, barriers that you have to jump through in order to finally get a yes or a no. Yeah. And you know, by the time that you do get that yes or a no, a lot has changed down the line. Correct. And then, you know, the process needs to be repeated to sort of realign with what's now currently happening. And ultimately, nothing ever catches up, which means nothing ever really gets done. Do you, you don't think that maybe there, there should be some kind of like parallel market to this for the state? Look, I'm not an expert. Um, uh-huh. no, I'm asking as your experience <laughs> as an entrepreneur. Because, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily exclusively that the state is fundamentally useless, even though ours is. Well, I wouldn't um, say useless. Um, I would I would say perhaps they are you know slow on the mark um, you know when the gun goes off yeah. perhaps they get a bit startled and then you know, look to the crowds and then the race begins as a South African citizen <laughs> who doesn't have to worry about the state potentially <laughs> harassing me for my uh, citizenship <laughs> I, I will take the more um, uh, direct view which is I don't think they get off the mark period in the gun gears off okay I think they just wake up at that point let alone <laughs> get off the mark yeah I, I think I think they're, they're, like there's 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 challenges that come from working with the state and mm. the state trying to finance these kinds of initiatives because um, well the state is designed to do what the state is designed to do and we can't always say with great confidence that that thing is going to be the thing that yeah we wanted to, to do. So I, I, I have a question for you, and I suppose yeah. we, we touched a bit on this on Thursday. Mm. Um, Sorry, just to, just for yeah. the people who are listening, okay. do you mind telling them what happened on Thursday? <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, the I crime mean, you're, scene. you're yeah. a better orator than I am. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a founder's dinner, which is essentially a group of like-minded um, entrepreneurs who have started their own respective companies. Hmm. And yeah, we try and get together once a 
suppose once every two months. Yeah. Um, create safe space where we can basically discuss, uh, you know, uh, problems that we have. Yeah. Basically, see if any of us can assist one another. We try to create opportunities to open doors and network with one another. And what's currently or recently started happening is we've started getting speakers hmm. um, to come have a talk. A lot with of women us. as well. Don't forget that. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> We to be clear, it's not an old boys club. It's an old boys and girls club. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, and yeah, yeah. we've we've uh, we've started having speakers um, who come and have a chat with us about topics that really are close to our heart, and you know, really the the whole point of it is you know to understand that you're not alone on this entrepreneurship journey, mm. and um, you know to motivate each other. So you know, once in a while we have critical discussions. Well, maybe not once in a while. Yeah. Uh, Quite every often. while, every while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have critical discussions, and um, you know, so one of the points that came up on Thursday, which was uh, the recent dinner, was how we can sort of increase more entrepreneurship and innovation in developing and undeveloped countries, particularly South Africa. And I had asked if, you know, this was actually a comment that came from a friend of mine, but I thought, you know, let me let me see where this will lead. I had asked what what uh, the other founders thought of creating a sort of social security uh, platform that mm. would allow um, both employed and unemployed people to be able to take the jump or the leap to entrepreneurship. So what we found or what we believe is that um, even the employed people sometimes, you know, sort of fear to leave their jobs because I suppose essentially it's Maslow's hierarchy, right? You want food security and yeah. you need to make sure your basic needs are met. And if you leave a stable income to pursue something which is a bit risky, um, then really you're left in the lurch. Yeah. So, you know, that was the first part. Then the second part was, you know, if we could get unemployed people to sort of become more entrepreneurial by providing them with a stipend um, in order to allow them to really focus on um, innovation. Mm. So, yeah, I was going to ask you, what are, what are your thoughts? Do you think something like that would work? Do you think it would increase the amount of entrepreneurs uh, you know, in South Africa, or would it, you know, would it be, um, you know, the law of unintended consequences where you try and okay. do something good yeah. and then... All right. Yeah. No, no, no. Fair, fair, fair. Okay, so first and foremost, mm -hmm. I must take a moment to breathe and think about this because okay. my foot and my mouth tend to intersect quite a lot, so I need to make sure I don't put one in the other right now. I think culturally speaking, mm -hmm. we need to embrace the idea of failure a lot more. And I don't necessarily mean like, oh, my startup failed, it's fine. What I mean is that like, we should always embrace the idea that as soon as you embark on anything, there's a very large chance you're gonna get it wrong. And that's not a bad thing, because at the end of the day, getting something wrong is not a bad thing. It's like getting something wrong and not learning from it is a bad thing, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, like, I think as an engineer, and especially as a chemical engineer, you have a deep appreciation for experimentation as a, and the scientific method as a consequence of the way that you were educated, mm -hmm. right? So, 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 so first and foremost, like, we need to embrace failure. And in, in order to embrace failure, in order to like, fully appreciate experimentation and scientific method and like, trying to get the best outcomes for our society as a whole, I think the big thing that we need to do is take a less broad-based approach towards things. Okay. Because I think the problem is that like, as a consequence of our very... Like, problematic, fucked up past in this country and many other countries in the world, we, we, we're constantly chasing, you know, these like uh, power pellets called equality. 
And like the problem with these power pellets of course the quality is if you eat too many of them they're gonna make you shit your pants. You know what I mean? And we're seeing that right now play <laughs> out. An a lot analogy, okay. Yeah, yeah, well it's 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 we're seeing that out in South Africa. So, you know, any kind of UBI scheme, like I'm always interested in your ideas, because at the end of the day, some of the old great ideas can't be improved on. But a lot of the current ideas can be improved on, you know what I mean? Okay. So, so I'm a big fan of a experimentation. I'm, I'm a big fan of like targeted programs, if that makes any sense. So, 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 if you were to undertake any kind of UBI, like first and foremost, you cannot do this on a broad scale. It has to be very focused and concentrated because you have to get feedback from this mechanism and from this program to understand, you know, like what exactly happened, and at least have the ability to either pull back or increase. Your, your engagement accordingly, right? So the problem is that like, okay, cool, we're government, we're gonna have a program that's like, everyone gets like free apples for lunch, you know what I mean? And then our apple farmers like explode overnight, and then everyone like, and then like we have all these weird second order effects of, uh, as a consequence of it, and like apple juice completely like, uh, like collapses and it sells, and apple farmers like stopped making apple juice, but now apple farmers have this abundance of apples left over that used to be used for juice, but now have to be sent to the audience or the community or the society. And as a consequence of that, now we have like every year we have 50 tons of apples that we have to throw away. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a broad based approach. And that's dumb. And the reason it's dumb is because you, no one can actually predict that. Right. Like whether it's fucking Elon Musk or like Terrence Tao, or any genius of any kind, you can't predict what's going to happen because it's too complex an environment to play within, right? So you can't even simulate it right now either, right? So you've always got to take a broad-based approach and then take it like, you know, very like incrementally, if that makes any sense, and say, okay, cool, this is working here for the following reasons. Let's look for other environments that have similar conditions to allow it to work and then scale it accordingly and then keep on adjusting and, and acclimatizing. But just to go back to your point you mentioned, and I, I mean, I agree with it. Uh, I'll also reference, uh, this is great book that I've just read but before that yeah. you mentioned that you know we should be willing to accept now that there's a certain amount of risk and yeah. potential for failure in Correct. order to you know to move forward is that not really uh, a luxury for some people to be able to fail is that is that not a function of, of culture would you say so if I if I have to walk 20 kilometers to 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 school you know and then I finally get a job when I graduate and I have to make sure that, you know, my parents and my siblings are taken care of. Can I really now then say, you know what, I have an idea and I think I'm going to experiment with this idea. It may work, may not work, but if it doesn't work, I'll have learned something. Sure. But what is the consequence? You know, so this is, I'm, I'm just, you know, trying mm -hmm. to understand if, if... Yeah, look, I mean, I 100% agree with you. Like, you know, the problem with poverty is that Poverty just means that you can't fuck up a lot. You can't fuck up as much as a rich person can, right? In a nutshell. Because, like, mm -hmm. I always like to use the analogy of, like, uh, transportation. You know, if you're a rich person and you take the wrong road or you go to the right or wrong address, you can always just turn around and go to the next place, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're very poor and you're living, like, on the bones of your ass and you have to take a taxi to get where somewhere. Do you, where do you get these, uh, <laughs> what <are> these, these <laughs> sayings? Yeah, I mean. Just lots and lots of WWE, you okay. know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> it's like I, I lived a very colorful life. Okay. So I have a colorful uh, vocabulary to match. Uh, so so if, you're, if, yeah. you're, if you're very poor and you don't have a lot of money and like you go to the wrong address, you know, like whatever that taxi may be, whether it's like $1 or $2, or whatever that may be in this mm. instance, 
that one dollar means a lot to you. Absolutely. So, so you can't really afford to make as many errors. Mm. So that's why I say on a cultural level, we yeah. need to change our approach. Okay. Because, of course, that person who made the, the error of going to the wrong address should not be experimenting there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. They should be experimenting where they can experiment. And yes, the richer you are, the more surface area you have to experiment. Fine. I was about to say, yes. But even the poorest of the poor have room for experimentation. Because remember, and this is going to sound problematic, but I'm a problematic person, so I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Um, but even a, like, there was, a, there, was, there, was this, there was this homeless guy mm-hmm. I, I, I used to know when I was still studying university. And he suffered from some kind of mental health condition that was very severe and uh, the states could not accommodate him. And as a result, he became homeless. And one thing I really liked about this guy is um, a lot of different things I liked about him. But the one thing I really, really enjoyed about him was he would always change his, his begging signs. So he wouldn't have the same signs saying, please help, I'm starving. Okay. You know, he'd, he'd mix it up. And one day I eventually came to him and I was like, you know, who writes your signs for you? Who does this for you? And he was like, oh, no, I've got a friend. Who, who writes the signs for me? He writes the signs for me and then we, you know, and so on and so forth. And I was like... Wow, you know, like, that's really, really great. And he was like, yeah, cool, dude. Can you, do you have, like, 50 bucks? And I was like, yeah, yeah sure. And I gave him the money, if that makes any sense. Because he had to go and do whatever he had to do yeah. and so on and so forth. But that's why I mean, like, it's got to be a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. It needs to be the kind of thing where, like, um, from a very early age, we, you know, we, we impress upon children that, like, success must not be the number one concern for your life. The number one concern for your life should be the exploration of knowledge and the consumption of knowledge. And when you do that, all of a sudden, then that kid who went to university, right? When he got to university, he would have to rethink the way in which he engages with it altogether. And he'd probably fail a few courses, which is fine, you know, because we shouldn't judge students on their ability to pass courses. We should judge students on their ability to think and learn, as we were discussing earlier. But just to get you right there, then. So do you not think this should also be an institutional thing of revamping how we consider what you know, a degree is and what fundamentally. Has, no, I, I think the entire university model yeah. is flawed. Okay. Um, I think it's fucked. I think um, anyone <laughs> right. who's chasing that that, that dream is yeah. very, very is going to be very disappointed in the next twenty years. I mean, if you look at LinkedIn, no, you know, I, and you know, usually first thing when I uh, start my day, I have a cup of coffee, uh, put on my LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, there are all these, and I'm, you know, it's it's wonderful. Graduates, happy, over the moon, just gotten their degrees. Yeah you know, in their respective um, industries. And, yeah, I just wonder what, what the rate of, um, you know, uptake in terms of market is. And it, it always seems, it's always like we were told or taught that, you know, follow this path, get that degree, and then that's that. But, I mean, increasingly, that's, that's not the case. Well, I mean, I think that's a feedback loop problem then, right? Yeah. Because, like, the problem with the feedback loop is that it takes so long for you to get the information, right? So it's like, there's that... Um, a friend of mine the other day got invited to speak at a high school on their matric, uh, like, uh, or their, their, their grade 12 graduation ceremony. And he was like, I'm not doing that unless you bring the grade 8s. <laughs> the school was like, what? We can't bring the grade 8s. It's only the, the, the grade matrix, 12s. Yeah. And he was like, they're, they're fucked. Like, they're, they're, it's too late for them. Like, you guys, are, they're, they're not going to make it. The ones that we need to be focusing are the grade eights. Okay. You know what I mean? And I agree with that wholeheartedly because 
like the problem with it is that like our feedback loops are just way too slow, mm. right? Especially in like an education space. Um, so you, 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 you almost need to rethink the problem from the ground up and rebuild the system altogether because what we currently have right now, it's, 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 it's dog shit, like, and it doesn't work. And unfortunately, it continuously repeats the same outcomes, um, but like they're becoming less and less effective over time. And now, you know, like you're seeing a lot of these universities essentially just become like uh, gigantic hedge funds that just like, you know, collect a lot of revenue and a lot of returns in the market mm. and then co-invest them into the market to like, you know, support their endowment. But they don't actually focus all the energy on producing, you know, intelligent, you know, uh, knowledgeable, curious uh, innovative, creative young men and women. So in that, in that, in that uh, regard, would you say perhaps Technicons are doing a better job than universities because they actually teach hands-on you know, hands yeah, skills mean, that, okay. that you can actually you know, use? Yes and no, yes okay. and no. Because I mean, like, I, I think it's kind of like an argument like who's a better driver between a dog and a cat? You know what I mean? It's like, neither one of them should be fucking driving to start off with. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like my argument in that regard would be that like, it's not that you have to throw out the entire baby and the bathwater in this one, but it's like you need to start interrogating these in spaces very aggressively. And like, mm. uh, there's a really great um, podcaster slash genius slash like a mathematical fundi named Eric Weinstein. Okay. And he's brilliant. And um, I love Eric because what he does speaks about more than anything else is that like there's all these there's all these second order effects around the university and education system that are a consequence of politicization and like a consequence of a lot of these very, very perverted policies that like erode the universities from within and consistently create these perverted outcomes, right? And the problem with that is that we don't see them until it's too late, you know what I mean? And then at that point, it's too difficult to remove anyone from that system because everyone in that system generally tends to be a rent seeker, you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm a professor. And I had to suffer through this entire process to become a professor. So the next guy who has to come yeah. a professor has to become, you know, uh, has to suffer through the same process. Mm. As opposed to stopping and going... Earning your stripes, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the yeah. problem with earning your stripes is that, like, it's a very antiquated way of thinking and it's very punitive. Mm. It's like, you must suffer the thing that I suffered. Whereas, going back to our original point, because I can jump around an idea for hours without ever getting to any point, <laughs> and I'm sure anyone who's listening to this will know that. Um, so, 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 it's... Going back to, it's like, it's like, if you change the incentives in a system, you change, like, you'll change the outcomes, right? And the problem with our current education system is that it's operating in a globally competitive environment where the, the you know, the, the, the performance that your grandfather had is, is, like, laughable in comparison to what you need to have today. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like, if you just look at, like, the... the, the and the skill set that you have to have. I'm not even talking about like the new subjects. I'm talking about like the old ones, right? Okay. Like I'm talking about like the stuff that was still taught a hundred years ago. But like you know, back then you had to get an education, but you didn't have to get six A's, you know, or you didn't have to get like an SAT score of X or Y. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the problem with like almost um, hyper competitive, like making school hyper competitive, is the children's incentives are to get good marks and not to learn. And as a consequence of that, they spend all of their energy trying to get good marks and not learning. And as a consequence of that, they're not actually getting an education. They're passing a game. You know what I mean? I see. So it's like, it's like you're getting all the right power pellets to overcome the game, but you're not actually getting an education. And the reason you're not getting an education is because there's too much pressure on you to get a degree. So would you, would you then say, I mean, if you were to go out on a limb, yeah. <clears throat> that... The amount of, I mean, if you were to sort of chalk it 
chalk it up the amount of entrepreneurs and innovative people out there would you say that's a larger percentage of the top performing people or that would be a larger percentage of the average um degreed or non-degreed individuals if you were to look okay. at it like that it's an interesting question yeah and i think you need to interrogate the environment before you can answer the question okay so like what are the incentives for top performers to go into entrepreneurship now versus like 40 years ago right so like a top performer 40 years ago had very little incentive to go into um, entrepreneurship because there weren't a lot of mechanisms out there to support you if you went into entrepreneurship versus if you just got a job right so these are like like if you're if you're a top phd computer science student at like stanford in like the 60s and 70s like intel's a great deal you know what i mean like starting a company doesn't make that much sense right but like you fast forward to today you know and you get these like uh, cartels you know, like um, these startup cartels, mm-hmm. like uh, like Y Combinator, and like a lot of these big organizations, yep. where like being a top performer and going to top university almost guarantees you some form of like funding, right? Sure. So now in the world that we live in, like, oh, I went to Stanford and I did a CS degree. You know, I'm gonna apply to Y Combinator and become an entrepreneur because like the incentives and the mechanisms to become an entrepreneur are so much more streamlined and so much easier now, right? Where so so so. The answer I'd give you then is that some, a large, I think there's a greater proportion of top performers now who are becoming entrepreneurs as a consequence of the safety net that we've created in these institutions. But at the same time, there's like what I call like the good boy, good girl syndrome that comes with that. Which is? Like you get in medicine a lot. Like, I don't know, I mean, do you know a lot of doctors? A few, yeah. I know a lot of doctors. Okay. Most doctors are the same person, like, mm. I've met in my entire life. Yeah, like... Same character, you mean? I'm a good guy. Oh. You know, like, I was a prefect at school, I was part <laughs> in school, you know, I did X, Y, and Z, like, there's, there's like, a lot of Pete Buttigieg, or Buttig- however you say his name, like, energy in there, right? And, like, when I've interacted with doctors across the board, they generally tend to be incredibly intelligent, incredibly hardworking, wildly, like, not open to risk at all, you oh. know what I mean? Um, especially, yeah, yeah, but this is a more complicated topic because <laughs> it's very gendered of what I'm saying as well. And like, there's a lot of all the other socioeconomic conditions that come with that. Okay. So like someone who, 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 who's a really top performing student in like, for instance, um, law, for instance, okay. there's a so lot let's, of, let's create a hypothetical situation yeah. here. Let's say yeah. you, I don't know what's a, what's a good, uh, law. Uh, school in South Africa. Um, it's a good law school in South Africa. Uh, yeah, university that has I a don't know, like great law degree. I don't know. People there know the law. Uh, I don't know. Okay, let's go to UCT. Okay, let's yeah. let's make UCT the subject. Yeah. So I've just graduated from UCT, top of my class, and yeah. I don't know, an LLB. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's that's the scenario. Yeah. Okay. So what you, are you now saying that person would be likely, more likely, to go into entrepreneurship? extremely less likely extremely less likely yeah because remember like universities aren't universities anymore universities serve as like uh, nursery schools for big corporations now so you mr top of your class llp like there's going to be a number of financial offers on your plate by the end of your year that are so damn lucrative and so damn enticing good to, too good to say no exactly right okay. and you see the same thing in cs like you see a lot in cs yeah, especially now, because, like, Google will, like, hire you in grade eights, let alone, like, you know, hmm. in your final year of your, your university degree. Um, and the problem with that is that, like, you're concentrating way too much intelligence outside of, like, the meaningful parts of the economy. 
you know, and like you see that, especially in law, especially in medicine, um, especially in like, I suppose even engineering, yeah. Because mm. ironically enough, engineers tend to be a lot more, less risk averse than like other d- disciplines in many ways. In many ways, not mm. completely. Mm-hmm. But the problem with it is like, once again, it's that lucrativeness. So like, it's almost like it's worse now than it was beforehand. Because at least, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the amount of money that you would offer as the top student and the bottom student there wasn't a huge variance between the two. Whereas yeah. now, because it's so large, um, as a top student, like, there's almost too much selection. There's almost too much choice. I take that back. That's not true. Rather, financial incentives are very, very perverted. And as a consequence of that, it becomes very difficult to pursue something truly interesting because, well, everyone wants to, like, you know, buy nice stuff. Okay. You know? But is, is, are we not now sort of starting to nibble? Uh, take a few bites at this elephant in terms of how we could sort of uh, envision uh, this uh, uh, social security working. I mean, you've, you've said that one of the biggest issues. Oh, is yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, Do you yeah, see yeah, where yeah, this yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely see you coming around. To okay. It. Okay, w- where I disagree with you then maybe is in the execution. Because yeah. I think that, like, the idea that you pay for university is psychopathic. Like, it makes no sense whatsoever. I, I like the idea of, like, a five to seven year period for a person between the ages of, like, 17 and 24 just kind of fuck around do you know what i mean like explore as many courses as you want read as many books as you want on whose fail <laughs> well you know this is this is a okay okay if i may the, yeah. if i may okay on our buck as taxpayers all right why because the converse is still true if we don't allow them to do it you see what i'm saying so so okay, okay. So it's like it's like South Africans are great at this. South Africans are great at this. Like, okay. I don't want my taxes to pay for this and this and this and this. Yes. Right? Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Or but, I don't see where my taxes are. Going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I, I can agree with that to some extent. But remember, like, if you're if you don't pay your taxes, you always pay your taxes somewhere else. Right? So I don't want to pay my taxes because I think SAPS is useless. Right? Mm-hmm. So I got fidelity. You know, I was like, I don't pay my taxes because I think schools are useless. Right? So someone breaks into your house at 2 a.m. and kills your cat and your dog and robs your house. Because that kid didn't have the right kind of education infrastructure to help him, you know, I see what you manifest mean. himself. So, like, okay. whenever you get these, like, libertarian fucked-out arguments around, like, taxes are theft, you know, like, all this crap. I always remind people that, like, taxes, like death, are inevitable. Because even if you don't pay your taxes, you still pay your taxes somewhere else down the line, right? Mm. So I'm saying, rather just... Like, 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 we have this gigantic youth unemployment problem. And everyone's kind of sitting on their hands and their bums like, I don't know what we're going to do about this, you know, <laughs> and so forth. But you're paying for it already, right? You're paying for it like the, the Nyape crisis that's like running riots in this country, right? You're paying for it for like government grants that you pay out of your taxes every single year that millions and hundreds and thousands of people try to exploit as a consequence through pregnancy, as you were talking about earlier, mm. through so on and so forth. So like, guys... If you don't want to pay for it, cool. But you still have to pay for it regardless. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so it's, like, it's, like, it's like exercise. It's like, I don't want to exercise. Cool, you don't have to exercise. But you're going to pay for it. You see what I'm saying? Mm. So who's going to pay for it? Tax-paying citizens are. Because right now you're paying for it already. But it's just very poorly allocated. You see okay. what I'm saying? So the trick would be in the allocation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the execution. And once again, okay. you can't have a broad-based scheme, right? So it can't be like... You really hate these, you know, broad-based schemes. Only like. thing I like broad are shoulders on men and a woman's <laughs> hips and that's it, you know, because I'm a greedy girl. But like this idea that you can have a one-fits-all approach to anything, yeah. like next to spoons is borderline impossible, you know what I mean? Because mm. like spoons are brilliant. Like I always say spoons are the greatest invention in human history by far because you can't improve a spoon. Damn, they're great. You know what I mean? But um, I digress. 
so 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 like once again like you need to my my view is that like if you give young people this ability and this this opportunity you and you take away the 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 the, the psychopathic pressure to like get a degree because i have to pay this degree off you know and we we yeah. monetize like the suffering of and the education and like we now sell you know our children off to the highest bidder essentially like if we can move away from that model and more to a model where it's like hey you know what you should be studying like mongolian history why because you like it hey here's like computer science with no um you know prerequisites you know what i mean like just just figure like just explore you know tinker mm. play if that makes any sense you you you'll you'll have children who are much more holistic in their thinking and you know of course it doesn't have to be like literally seven years of just messing around of course but, but i mean like there can be some curriculum attached to it to some extent but i think if you can if you can create a lot more critical, stimulated minds in this country who have the confidence to try things on their own and build things on their own, yeah. the long-term benefits will be astronomical, you know what I mean, um, for the country as a whole and for the region as a whole, you know. And I think the problem that we have right now is, A, the state is trying way too hard to almost force graduates out of university. You know, so it's like, come to university, like, we'll pay for that, right? But then we're going to force you out of university as well. Like, we're going to force you to... We're going to, like, consistently keep watering down standards so that you eventually get out. So that we can, you know, tick a box on, a, like, and an annual done. report that says that we've got X amount of graduates. And the problem with it is that there's no correlation between graduates getting through university and creating value in the economy. Well, not... I take that back. Not there's no correlation. But we mustn't make that immediate correlation because it's not always true, right? Whereas... If you have someone who's got a much more holistic approach to things, who's built a business in the seven-year period, yeah. you know, who's like, traveled in the seven-year period, mm-hmm. who's explored different subjects in the seven-year period, when he gets into a commercial working environment, he, ha- he, he will approach it with a lot more openness. Yeah, I, I wanted to sort of get you there, but I, I like that you use the word commercial. Yeah. I think, I mean, at, at the end of the day, as much as we like entrepreneurship and, and innovation, mm. I think we must also remember that um, it's not the only way to add value into the economy and society. 100%. And it's not for everyone. I mean, Correct, someone yeah. else is happy having a corporate job, stability, income, trajectory, retiring, holidays every, yeah. you know. So I think, I think what we must perhaps then focus on is how... Whether which, you know whatever side of this wheel you are on, how you can actually add value um, to the community and the economy, yeah, whether yeah. it's through entrepreneurship or as as corporate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. I, I agree. I agree with yeah. you on that one, and I think it's not as uh, cut and clear as like people want it to be. And mm-hmm. I think the state should like just accept that L now. You know what I mean? In the sense that like your programs will not work. You need to start making peace with that. We need to look for like an alternative approach. Yeah, because I think you know even in that alternative approach, and I'll just sort of circle back to water. And you mentioned the devil. Keep, you know, keep keep this water propaganda going. I'm here for it. <laughs> okay, water propaganda all day, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you talked about it with with energy and how you know, um, yeah. you know, the minister currently has you know agreed for some mines to start producing um, their own energy through solar or whatever means that yeah. they require. And you know, you're getting these public-private uh, partnerships. Uh, which are increasing, and I think you know we could learn from that in the in the, in the water sphere. You know, there are quite a lot of places in the economy 
and even just potable drinking water. Mm. Um, that there's no infrastructure. You know, mm. you go to Limpopo, you go to the Eastern Cape, and I mean, it's just, it's 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 horrible there. Mm. And I think if they would allow private companies to, you know, also extend the helping hand, both in the expertise and just, you know, unburdening them in, in terms of the load that they have to manage, I think we could go a long way. Yeah, no, a massive way. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I can't agree with you more in that regard. And I think the problem with the state is that the state is just this very faceless monolith that consistently, like, produces outcomes without its knowledge and consistently tries to save face around mm -hmm. its failure to identify and recognize these yeah. these outcomes and but, we but need to start moving away from that thinking and start moving towards something that's a bit more accountable and a bit more transparent i agree and i, I suppose you know just to add responsibility on our side um perhaps learning well and their side as well i suppose it's, it's a two-way thing just how to interface um, with with the state, I, I find it really hard to... Well, they, they, they make it hard on purpose, right? Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, like, they do. Like, because at the end of the day, like, if you make it hard to interface, then no one can, like, stop you from doing what you're doing. You know what I mean? That is a possibility, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like the entire process of law formation in this country is fucking psychopathic. It's crazy. You know what I mean? And, like, you can't, you can't, you can't interact with it unless you have huge amounts of prerequisite knowledge to do that and the gross majority of people in this country don't have that knowledge because it's not afforded to them by the state so it's this wonderful circular show of like fuckery that doesn't stop right mm -hmm. so so yeah it's it's not it's not it's not ideal and um the 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 center will not hold if it can no it, it won't hold period i'm not saying if it can and it will count like it's where it is so um, yeah and i think going back to your water arguments earlier um, if the state cannot diagnose problems correctly, it can never solve those problems. Sure. And I think if you can't even, if, if the, the number one concern should be solved for diagnosis, less than solved for the yeah. actual problem, because we've seen them try to solve the problems. And I think, I mean, they're, they're, they're you know, they're sort of, um, you know, Big questions they need to ask themselves, especially in the you know uh, in, in the water sphere. Again, I keep sort of pulling back to mm. my industry. Mm. Um, if you look at, at a country like Lesotho, I don't know too much in terms of if this is the case in South Africa. Um, despite us being well known for for water, you know, uh, we have a shortage of of, of water supply um, to the communities and to the cities. Mm. Um, Either because, you know, the infrastructure is old and overburdened or because priority is, and this is an interesting topic, priority is given, priority of water is given to the industries um, because they obviously provide money and income Just and tax. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's no, no, not, in, not, not, not the water from the Highlands Water Project. No, I'm talking no, no. about water yeah. that's actually meant for the country itself. Correct. So let's say you have 100 liters of water that's, you know, meant for the country. Mm. You'll find that perhaps... 60 to 70 goes to industry and 30 comes to uh, community and the 30 is not enough but you know it's been set up in such a way that industry always gets the water first because industry you know provides the economy you know with an influx of, of money so it's also an interesting conversation you know if you have a if you have a limitation in terms of resources are you now going to say okay because industry provides money and jobs it's like the COVID thing uh, industry provides money and jobs 
So we're therefore going to just keep the industry, you know, booming and, you know, let the, let the locals and local households suffer? Or are we going to prioritize the citizens? It's, again, it's like COVID. Are we going to close the economy up in order to try to save lives? You have to embrace failure. Or, okay, so all I'm saying what is... What I'm trying to say is that, like, yeah. in, that, in that equation, you have to just say, we know we're probably going to get this wrong. Start mm-hmm. First and foremost. Okay. So how do we get it less wrong? Because I think the problem is, is that, like, everyone's got this, like, fucking John Wayne energy around them, right? Like, I'm the motherfucker. Yo, fam, I don't understand what I'm doing fully, right? Yeah. I need help. But isn't this now these partnerships that we're talking about and letting the private sector sort of intervene? Uh, right? uh, <laughs> I don't know. But... Okay, yes, yes. But wait, but wait. That framework itself doesn't exist in a healthy environment yet. Elaborate. Ah, oh, fuck, dude. <laughs> okay. Every, okay, I'm going to, hot take, hot take. Somewhat controversial, but I'm going to say it. Okay. Every single private-public partnership, at least in South Africa, is doomed to fail, and the private partnership will benefit more than the state. Say that again. Every so, single partnership yes. between the state okay. and a private corporation or private institution in this country will fail, mm-hmm. or if not fail, will dramatically benefit the private entity, but not the state itself. Okay, now I'm interested. Okay. So the reason I say this is because a lot of this, okay, at a fundamental level, it just really comes down to incentives, okay? So if you are a truly ambitious young man or woman and you're working for Standard Bank, mm-hmm. or let's, let's give it a, a more like international flavor. Let's say like Discovery. Okay. Okay, Discovery Health Insurance or Discovery Bank, whatever, right? If you wanted to get a raise and you want to get a, like, a boost in income, okay, what's the best way to do that? Well, I mean, you get a, you get a, uh, what, what is this, what is this called? You get a promotion and that's either through yeah. working harder or smarter. Well, what you need to do more than anything else is provide more value to shareholders than all of your peers. That's all you need to do, right? Okay. So, 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 so how that occurs is irrelevant, but in a, in a commercial setting, it's generally by providing more value, okay. right? So, yeah. so it's very straightforward, right? We're assuming in an idealistic world, obviously, where there's no, uh, you know, corruption or... No, but even okay. with corruption, remember, Nepotism. like, everyone wants the same thing in business, which is to make more money, okay. right? If you can help manifest that, if, if Discovery doesn't appreciate you, Old Mutual will come and jump sure. in and, I get you that. know, steal the yeah. party from you. If you're in the department of, you fucking name it, yeah. <laughs> right? I don't care, you can name any department, and you want to get a promotion, what's the most, what's the best way to do it? I don't know, but I'm guessing the answer is not add value. <laughs> it's to be psychophantic. Okay. It's to make your boss like you. Because your performance is not measured according to an outcome that has a very like, firm basis in reality. You see what I'm saying? Money has a very firm basis in reality. You make a lot of money, you get a lot of money. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the States, if I save us a lot of money by doing Project X or Project Y... There's no direct incentive for that. I see. If I spend more money than we should have, right, but it creates a better outcome for the country, there's no incentive for that, right? Mm. So because my salary at the end of this year will be the same, whether or not this private partnership between us and Discovery fails, 
or is a complete success. The incentive for me to get it right is largely predicated on how good it makes me look to my boss, not necessarily how good it is for the state. You I'm see following I'm you. Yes. And in a country like South Africa with a government like the Black ANC, you need to always remember that the ANC itself is a criminal organization, right? Okay. Ooh. That just happens to have a political division attached to it, all right? So, like any criminal organization, like, in fact, see, it's a bad criminal organization. In fact, it's a good criminal organization in certain ways and bad in other ways. Good in that if you can get more money for your boss, you can, like, ascend, right? Okay. So, if you can structure this deal with Discovery in such a way that a brown envelope manifests on my lap with five million rand in it, and I can put four and a half of that five million rand into my boss's hands, and he in turn can put it into his boss's hands, and so on and so forth, I will ascend up the, the rank, right? But if I just do a good job, there's no benefit for me doing a good job. Yeah, look, perhaps I'm naive. Um, yeah, I, I suppose it's naivety. I would assume that, you know, yes, everybody likes money, but if you can see where, you know, the value or what the value you're adding is through this public-private partnership and you can actually see it in the communities um, especially because you're saying your salary doesn't change either way um, that should be good for you as a person right you're asking that to be good of the largest employer in the country which is the government right mm. so I'm saying like I don't like the idea of creating systems that account for morality because the problem with morality is morality is like, it's like the weather changes on a day-to-day basis. A system that, you know, prioritizes incentives that are commercial, I like a lot more. Simply put, because at the end of the day, we know the gross majority of people are motivated by money. So why would the, okay, let's go back to this uh, private partnership, yeah. uh, pu- public-private partnership. So if the incentive for the private company is to obviously make money, that's why they're in business. Uh, and if the project then succeeds with government, they're more likely to get future projects, which give them more money, right? So, no? Okay, carry on. Yeah. So why would their incentive be for it not to succeed? This is what I'm trying no, to No, 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 no. I'm not saying the government... Indivi- Wait, the person in the private, in the, the private organization, yeah. the commercial organization, yes. right? His incentive is, is for it to succeed. Okay, I misunderstood no, 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 no. you. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Okay. I, I take that back. Yeah, okay. So remember, you are motivated okay. to succeed because succeeding makes will, you more money. Exactly. And okay. we'll get no, I misunderstood you. I thought yeah. you were saying... The government that, guy has no incentive. Okay. Because at the end of the day, it's not A, his money. B, he won't get fired. And C, like, even if he's successful, unless it's on carte blanche... Yeah. Or on the front page of the And you're saying morality and ethics have nothing... I mean, they have don't play a point. Have you met government employees in this country? <laughs> <laughs> okay, l- l- let me not get into that, because I can yeah. rant about that for hours. Okay. What I'm trying to say is that, like... Mm. No, I get, I get what you're saying now. It's kind of like the Constitution... I'm sorry, that's a, that's a very broad statement. You always want to design systems for the worst of humanity, not the best of humanity. Because the best of humanity will always do the best mm-hmm. thing, or the right thing. Okay. The worst of humanity will always do what's in their best interests. Sure. In the short term, all right? So if you design a system that doesn't account for that, as soon as the worst gets in, the worst will exploit it to their advantage and to Self-interest. their benefit. I think it's that, uh, well, there's, a, there's a formula you guys uh, 
talked about about trust. What is it? It's credibility um, plus reliability yeah. plus um, yeah, credibility, reliability over self-interest. Yeah, something along yeah. those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, to go, so go back to the original statement, which is very straightforward. Um, every single state public institute, state and private institute partnership, will always see the state catching an L because the state is sending in like the biker mice from Mars. You know what I mean? And the private organization is sending in the Avengers. Mm-hmm. When you bring that down and like you just look at the people who work in the private organization and the people who work in the state, already you start to see that the guy in the private, going back to what we were saying earlier, mm-hmm. right? Mr. Top of my class at whatever university I'm at, he's going to the private institution. He's not going to the state. So who's on the other side of the state? It's the dregs of the dregs. You know what I mean? So what ends up happening is Mr. Dregs, who's getting an overinflated salary that he knows he should never get in reality, but because he's a state employee is getting it, and because he's politically connected is getting it. He doesn't care about this project. He cares about keeping his boss happy. So he might even push for a corrupt outcome on purpose because he knows cash will keep his boss happy. I, th- I, think, your, I think your approach is very you know, generalistic. I, I don't think it's... I can understand where you're coming from, but I don't think you can apply that to... You know, all government. You uh, can't have a broad-based approach uh, to it. <laughs> yes, you've, you've got me. <laughs> you've got yeah. Me. yeah. Look, I yeah. mean, of course, it's controversial yeah. to sta- say states, yeah. and I, I know it's controversial when I say it. Uh, but what it really tries to like, what I'm trying to say, or, or come, or, or, or like, help us to always gauge is that yeah. like, as soon as one hopes or or or, or, or like dreams that morality will win the battle over self-interest that's a bad gamble in my mind okay because at the end of the day like it's not remember self-interest isn't always overtly corrupt behavior sure. right self-interest can just be like this project is borderline insane like this like because the minister of this thing wants outcome x all right okay mm-hmm. Let's go back to education. He wants a thousand graduates every single year. Sure. Okay. And he's given me a university that only has a capacity for a hundred graduates every year. Right. So. How do I get to a thousand? I like I just hack it. Yeah. I just I, I just I fuck the system. Mm. I'll do whatever I can. So you lower the pass rate. You you do whatever. The number yeah, of, yeah yeah. You cook the books. Okay. Right. <laughs> cook the books. Yeah. So when it comes down to it. I'm given a psychopathic outcome to chase, right? And I can't achieve it. And my boss knows I can't achieve it. I know I can't achieve it. And my underlings know I can't achieve it, right? What are the, benef- what are the downsides of this thing not happening? And it's like, we'll get in trouble. Or we'll get into tr- you know, we'll upset our boss. Yeah. So now you're going to make it happen, right? You're going to become a rainmaker all of a sudden. But you're not actually becoming a rainmaker. You're just, you're just like pouring very very weak cement over potholes that does more damage to the road than does good right i see because the person at the top who made this crazy statement he got what he wanted or she well, got what it's not even that he's just so disconnected from the actual problem itself that doesn't make a difference to him do you see what i'm saying because well, like he doesn't care right because 
whether I'm the Minister of Justice or Minister of Finance next year, it's got nothing to do with my performance and much more to do with my political standing within the party. Okay, so let's, let's now rope that back into these triple, P, uh, triple P's. So y your solution then to sort of perhaps have a higher likelihood of success, I suppose it's very simple when you say it out loud, is to really to have uh, uh, government officials and ministers who have their fingers on the pulse and have a, you know, a very good idea of what's going on. Oh, I'm more government. radical than that. Okay. What I think the state should just be a VC. Huh. That's, that's it. Incredibly aggressive yeah, that's benefits for success. So, like, you incentivize success like no one's business, and you punish, like, failure and corruption like no one's business. So, like, just, just throw, like, because, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So, at a fundamental level, there's some aspect of me that really loves gambling, and I love winning as well, right? Okay. So, here comes a state tender. I have this problem, right? If you succeed, I will pay you five to ten times the amount that you should get. If you fail, I'm only going to pay you half. Right. I mean, that. so how or, does... Yeah. Or, even mm -hmm. worse, I'm going to send you to prison. Okay, that's... Whew. That's a radical. Yeah, <laughs> very, very radical. And then how do you think this then translates in terms of, you know, uh, government being uh, a large, uh, you know, base of, of employment uh, within the country? Don't no. You? Like, as I said, you're a VC, you're not the employer anymore. Okay. But I mean, that trans translates quite a lot to a loss of jobs, right? No, not necessarily. You okay. just take these departments and you look at ways in which you can privatize them. And not privatize them in the, like, selling SAA kind of way. Yeah. But no, saying, like, truly understanding what is this department designed to do? Right? So for you. Yeah. Like, what, like what's it meant to do for our country? Mm. Or what's so it it's, I, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, there's a department store. It's like Pep. Uh, you mm. know, Pep has managers and they have targets. Yes. You hit the target, this is how much you get for your bonus. You go above your target by X amount, this increases your bonus completely, by X completely, amount. Completely. Because okay. at the end of the day, we create perverted outcomes. 100%. I 1000% guarantee you'll have some fucked up weird things happen in our system. Right? But... On the average, you will see a great improvement in performance mm. because the government employee now who works for this pseudo-government, pseudo-private institution, right, this halfway 50-50 institution, yeah. he now has an incentive. Do you see what I'm saying? He now has something to wake up for and get to work for and, like, chase every single day. Okay. But the current system that is, is that, like, he doesn't have that. And because he doesn't have that, kind of just takes it easy, right? Mm. Like, because what's the point of, like, pushing yourself and trying to kill yourself if, like, the, the outcome's always going to be the same, right? So I'm saying, like, that's why I say the VC model makes a lot more sense mm. in my mind. It's saying, understand exactly what we need, right? And then understand how can we remove the state from execution from that as much as humanly possible. Okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely an interesting... And then, uh, th then create the incentives, mechanisms, and schemes. You know what I mean? Mm. And, like... The one for me that, like, no, that's not worth mentioning. It's an irrelevant point. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Simple as that, in my mind. And then, like, once again, because we've embraced failure at a fundamental level, <laughs> we're not scared when we fail. And we can also compment, compom, com, whew, English. compartmentalize, compartmentalize <laughs> yeah. these failures. Yeah. Do you understand? Because we're, we're fine with failure. No one has an issue with failure. Because when you fail, Mr. Entrepreneur, or Mr. You know, who's been assigned to this thing. Okay, I take that back. Sorry. Let's rewind a bit. I did say earlier that if you fail, we can pay you half and you go to jail. 
not all projects need to have that incentive. I think, I think, I think some of your ideas are very good. Just very aggressive. Um, so, sort of need to be filed down. Yeah, yeah, edges. yeah. We we can we can have a we can have a yeah. workshop session next time. Yeah. I give you all the ideas. Yeah, and then, and I then you can of, you can give them curves because yeah. yeah. mine are very <laughs> I think so. mine are very hard German edges. So, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm saying like, way too often we have these catastrophic failures. We have no postmortem. That is true. You know what I mean? It's like it's like it's like. It's like, there would be, it would be great if we had a department of failure. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is uh, you know, just to circle it back again to, to entrepreneurship. It, this is one of those tough things that you have to do when you run your own business. You yeah. know, when you do get that failure, you know, it's a setback. But in order to learn from it, you actually have to sort of, you know, dissect it and break it down and see where did I go wrong? How did I lose this money? How did I lose the client? Why did the project not work? You said something on Thursday. Yeah. And we had two very different approaches towards the okay. outcome. There's that lady who asked the question of like, where do you find the strength yes. to, you know... To carry on. To carry on in yeah. the face of like constantly failing. And what did you, what did you say again? So I said, um, I said, A, it's, it's really about what you've set as your objective. So how badly do you want what you're doing? And how much are you willing to learn from your failures and carry on? Yeah. Do you remember what my response was? No, what was your response? It's like, you need to get, you need to get used to getting punched in the face. <laughs> in the sense that, like, you need to get used to, like, things not working out mm-hmm. and looking like a fool. Because then you stop worrying about looking like a fool. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And, like, it's, it's, really, it's really tough in a country that is as unequal as South Africa and as, you know, dynamically, like, structurally unjust as South Africa... To, to, to get kids to appreciate that because at the end of the day... But it's also social media, right? Um, it's this um, you know, microscopic or macroscopic lens of what we perceive to be success and how quick it is to achieve success, right? So if I'm busy feeling here and you, know, you are there driving your McLaren or Ferrari, yeah. you know, what am I doing? There come the police. That's the government. They've, <laughs> they've heard your radical ways and have come to yeah. institutionalize you. Yeah. I don't know if it's social media exclusively. Not exclusively, but it has a certain. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will say that, like, the 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 someone someone I was, I was I was listening to a very interesting chat the other day, and someone was like, "What is Instagram's biggest competitor?" And the one panelist was like, "TikTok." Okay. And the other panelist said therapy. <laughs> I, yeah, I can see that. And it, like, I agree with that fundamentally. Yeah. Like, uh, the easiest way to spend less time on Instagram and like these social media apps is with therapy mm. because therapy helps you, you know, see things yeah. for the better, or not see things. Therapy just helps in general. Like, I advocate therapy above almost everything. Actually, agreed. Um, yeah, I think of a viewpoint we agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The <laughs> only thing we agreed on is well, not the only thing, but yeah, yeah, agreed. yeah. No, no, no. Um, so I don't think it's just social media. I think it's also like a cultural, cultural norms need to change around this. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because like, South Africa at a fundamental level was always going to be a frontier country and a frontier city as soon as like the first like Portuguese settler like stepped foot on this country, in this country, right? And as a consequence of that, you know, the thing about s- frontier states is that they're very zero sum because for a long time, you know, you were the only sheriff in town. 
and if someone tried to become sheriff as well, dislodging you would like take away your income and your power, right? But then the problem with frontier, and you see this especially in the the, the, the United States of America, like this this zero sum like motivation or like thinking that you know originates in like 1700 and 19 like in the middle of like human time right somehow this cultural meme of like zero sum you gotta like you know get what's yours as quickly as possible just keeps being like xeroxed and photocopied into the next generation you know mm. so it's like even in a country like south africa like, i remember like you can speak back to this as well the first time i went out you know it's been on top of you know the amount of people who came back to me and like were like, yo, that's risky, hey man, I really wish you luck. Na, 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 na. And like, like a lot of like snide backhanded comments were thrown mm. at me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, first and foremost, like, you can fucking eat my whole butthole. Like, what are you oh. like, screw you, dude. Like, you okay. don't know what I'm capable of. Yeah. One. And two, you, you also could have said nothing, but you, mm. you chose to say something snide instead, you know what I mean? Mm. And, like, that speaks back to like a certain cultural meme around, like, safety and insecurity that is so strongly embedded in the South African psyche that as soon as someone is like, I'm going to stick my head out, you know, of this small frontier town and try and be something outside of, like, a ranch hand or whatever someone does in, like, an antiquated Western American town, um, people immediately, like, you know, put their backs up, like, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, you know what I mean? And, like, the only way you can stop that is by, you know, creating a cultural understanding that we should celebrate people when they make that decision. Yeah. You know, because that person is doing a great justice or service to society by being an entrepreneur. Because even in his failure, he's helping something. society. Yeah. Even in, his, in the success, he's helping society. I think for me, one other thing which, you know, which was quite difficult to starting off... Um, yeah, it for, agreed with you. It was, you know, it was, what are you doing? You, you know, you, you have this highly lucrative degree. You could be, you know, earning yeah, X yeah. amount. Especially as black dudes. Yeah. You get a lot of that. Yeah. Now you know. you're busy here, you know, kicking leaves and yeah. doing yeah. hard calculations. I don't, even, I don't even know what you're doing, but you're not Correct. making money. That's the thing. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the first. It's, it's the environment you surround yourself um, with. And I think that's why I really like the founder circle. You know, once in a while, it's just good to sort of go back there and just uh, get immersed in, you know, like-minded people. But yeah. um, the, the other issue I've also realized is like this employment thing. Um, you know, when you start your first project, no one wants to really give you the first project no, because no. you don't have experience with past projects. Yeah. So, you know, it's like a little, is, is it the chicken or the egg? How do I get projects which you can now, you know, be happy with in order to give me future projects um, if I can't get the first project to start off with? So, I mean, for me, for, for some time, that was an issue, not being able to get you know, a project because you didn't have any projects in your portfolio. I 100% agree with you, yeah. yeah. And I know exactly what that's like. And yeah. like, it's a very massive chicken-egg problem. Yeah. And I think in your situation, it probably was harder because, well, I mean, like, the, the, the amount of opportunities you have are less, right? Maybe, yeah. No, no, no I, I mean, in the sense that, like, the total addressable market you can service is enormous. Yes. But the players are very few. Sure. Right, because like one player commands huge budgets. You know what I mean. So like, Glencore as a client for you is the equivalent of a hundred clients for me. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So you can. So it's harder in that regard, right? So like, you have to convince one client to give you a shot, 
Whereas I have, to, I have a hundred clients mm. I can try to convince to give me but a it, truck. It, so, it, you know, it also depends on, you know, what, what you're trying to achieve. As I, I mentioned, we try and, you know, target a whole host of, of people, not just, the, you know, the big guys, but also the small guys. Um, so, yeah, it, yeah, it really depends. But I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. I'm having a really great time in this conversation, yeah. but I do have some pre-prepared prepared questions sure. that I did. Sure, sure. Oh, uh, are we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to get these out before <laughs> this turns into a seven-hour podcast. All right. Okay, cool. Um... What's your biggest flaw that you can't be who you are without it, but at the same time it's still a flaw nonetheless that like is almost impossible to divorce from yourself? Well, do I want to say this publicly? Um, it's up to you. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do anything but put this on the internet. Um, <laughs> I would say, I would say a, a short or small tolerance and threshold for uh, ideas, I would say, or methods in which I don't necessarily subscribe to. There's a point where, you know, if I just fundamentally don't agree with you, I, I switch off and, you know, then that's that, you know, which is unfortunate because, you know, sometimes you do learn from different viewpoints and... Um, other people, but yeah, I have this unfortunate habit of if I fundamentally don't agree with you, I actually mm. just stop yeah. listening to you. I don't process anything anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's that. Yeah. So yeah, that, that would be it. Okay, that's good. Um, okay, I've got a time machine okay. in my bag. Right. Because time machines don't have to be big. <laughs> or you don't know how big my bag is. I don't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in this time machine, I'm going to take you back in time and you're going to meet your great great grandfather. Okay. What do you think the most interesting thing you could tell them is? About me or about the time we live in? Homie, just you have like a five minute conversation or 10 minute conversation to have with this guy. And like there's no language barriers. <laughs> no, <laughs> like in the sense that you have some like magical machine yeah. that can like communicate in his language uh, yeah, and his like style of language as well. That's a, yeah, that's a tough question. It's quite tough. I like to make it easy for my podcast guests. <laughs> I would I would imagine that um, you know, because there was not much or there wasn't social media, any social media back then, um, life was easier in the sense that, you know, you did what you do for you and, you know, you wouldn't necessarily care or subscribe to what other people's, you know, views of you mm. are either publicly or, you know, compare yourself, you know, in, in terms of milestones to what other people are doing. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose I would, I would, you know, try and find out from him, um, yeah, how, yeah, how he kept in his lane and how he did his own thing without necessarily, you know, uh, subscribing to, you know, or considering other people's, you know, viewpoints or, you know, that comparison in terms of life and, and, and where you are. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Super interesting. Okay, cool. Thank you for that one. Um, what do you consider magical, even though you know it's not? Wine. I.e., wine. Like, wine. 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 Amazing. Very, Great question. So. Great question. For me, it's like opera singers. Okay. Well, I know it's not magic, but every time I hear opera live, okay. I don't even love opera, but yeah. every single time I just see opera, I'm like, it's God, magic. damn, how did you do that? Okay. Okay. Um, here's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. 
How do you think crime and education would be affected yep. if we had authentically vibrant African uniforms for policemen and women and students? Repeat that again. Okay. <laughs> so how do you think yeah. crime and policing yeah. and education okay. would be affected if we introduced authentically vibrant African uniforms for school students? And for police officers and like state servicemen and women. Oh, yeah, I, again, uh, a tough question. But if I was, I like to, to keep it easy. Yeah, <laughs> not easy. Um, but I think we we we've touched uh, on this uh, some time back, and you know we were talking about how to you know sort of. Um, bring back uh, a sense of belonging and nationalism and, and morality in, in, in our respective countries. And, you know, we said that one way of reducing crime is really understanding or having some sort of patriotism reintroduced into you. And I, perhaps that's what the uniforms would do, that perhaps they would make you know, people feel like they're part of a, a whole and therefore, you know, this person is like me and, you know, therefore... Robbing them, mugging them, killing them is inherently wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're 100% on the money there. Yeah. And I think above all else, it would remind you that you are living in a different part of the matrix. Mm. You know, like, it's like when you travel to certain parts of Asia, you immediately, as you arrive there, know you're not in, like, the Western world. Yeah. You know what I mean? The problem with South Africa is that, like... It's a blend of, you know, like sure you have good. a fucking beautiful home. Mm. Like, it's stunning. I love it. Like, oh, thank you. You are living every gay man's wet dream right really? now. Really? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, my ex boyfriends would lose their minds if they could see this place. Okay. But this house could exist in San Francisco. Yes. This house could exist in London. Agreed. This house could exist anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think, not to say that, like, you haven't done a good job. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, your shit bangs globally. It doesn't just bang, like, yeah. in South Africa, right? And because of that, um, it, I wouldn't, if, you, if I woke up in this house and everything was locked, I didn't know where I was in the world, I wouldn't know where I am, you know? No, I get but what like, you yeah. If you go to Japan and you wake up in a traditional Japanese house, you would know where like, you are. Snap, I time traveled to Japan. And I think that's one big problem we have in South Africa is that, like, the current dispensation gave up on the, the transformative experience. Hmm. at the fundamentals and it's chasing like the commercial output as opposed to the fundamental output not realizing that both are intertwined you okay. know what I mean okay cool last two um, this is an interesting from someone from Lesotho how do you think education would evolve or change in this country and your country if we taught it in an African writing script So still keeping all the maths, physics, everything well, as the it medium are. is the message, right? So yeah. things would have to change a bit. But yeah. at a fundamental level, you're like five-year-old Molitsane or yeah. four-year-old Molitsane, and you're learning how to read and write. And instead of going straight into the Roman numerals, you go into an African writing script. Or the rhyme, Roman lighting, writing style, rather. I think it would do wonders. I mean, if you if you look at some of these ancient civilizations, you look at Ethiopia, you look at Egypt, you look at the Romans that you've mentioned. I mean, that's all the same path that they pursued and look at their greatness. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Last two questions. What's a book that you really enjoyed and had a lasting impression on you? 
Yeah, quite a few. Um, it's not even a few. That's cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the two off the top of my head would be um, "Think Again" by Adam Grant, which uh, which is the book I just finished reading, and yeah. um, "The Ride of a Lifetime" by. Uh, Robert Eager, who is the former CEO of Disney. Yeah, yeah, Bob um, Eager, right? Yeah. He's still there, right? Yeah. He left, actually. He had to he, come back, though, because of COVID, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, he was trying to leave, and COVID hit him, and, like, slowly. He stayed. Yeah, yeah. So, th yeah, those are two, f I mean, those are two great books. His description of his uh, oh, so you read Disney it. acquisition deal, and the way that he whooshas uh, George Lucas. <laughs> but he took <laughs> a long time to actually um, manage to get that. But, but like, the way he describes it is, like, one of the most introspectively beautiful, like, uh, passages in a business autobiography that I've come across. I think across. he wrote it brilliantly. I mean, even yeah. some of the life lessons and the business lessons that he puts there for me. Have you, have you read Stephen Schwartzman's What It Takes? No. It's, like, the biggest load of shit you'll ever read. Oh, about. I thought that was your next recommendation. No, no, no. I was going to stay away okay. from that one. Okay, like, no, I haven't. Super douchebag. Okay. Has no empathy, has no understanding of self, like... Um, he might be brilliant. I'm not sure. But generally speaking, after reading his... I was, I was severely disappointed by his autobiography. Okay. Well, yeah. well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, same question. Yeah. What book did you not enjoy that left a lasting impression on you? Huh. I would say it would be um, Thinking Fast and Slow by a guy called David uh, Kahneman. He David was, Kahneman, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So you didn't enjoy it, but it left a lasting impression. Yeah, I mean, it was. It felt like a very tough read. Um, hmm. I mean, after the first few chapters, I completely forgot what I was trying to read and understanding, and yeah, yeah that was. It was a brutal book too. <laughs> so yeah, I think yeah, that would be it. Okay. Yeah. Alright. Uh, Do you have one? Yeah, but I have to ask this question to a lot of people, so I'm okay. not gonna answer it because then it's gonna have right. to change every single time. But, okay. Um definitely the Bible's up there. Okay. Well, I mean it has a lasting impression yeah. on me, yeah. right? Yeah. Fair. Um didn't enjoy it. It wasn't written really well. But is it meant to be enjoyed? Well, it's, well, it's irrelevant. Extract. The question is, what did you yeah, read okay. that you know mm. you didn't enjoy, but had a lasting impression mm. on me? Yeah, pretty sure I'm gonna get some hate mail for that one. Uh, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of hate mail here anyway. Um, last question. Yep. And then we call it a day. Modern technology has advanced to the point where I'm gonna add another hundred years into your life, but I'm also gonna make sure that you can live in the body comfortability of a. Um, 25 year old version of yourself okay so you have 100 years to go essentially now so and this is like you don't have to worry about it mm -hmm. this is guaranteed okay how would that change your approach to the way that you're currently living your life and what would you rethink or relook at i think i suppose it's a disadvantage but i think my yeah my aggressiveness to business and just how fast and I'm trying to build uh, a legacy. I think I'd take a, uh, you know, a bit more of a laid back approach, uh, mm -hmm. do a bit more traveling, exploring the world. Um, yeah, I think that would really be the difference. I, mean, I was listening to um, Eric 
uh, on Thursday, the, mm. the guest speaker. Eric Vermeulen. Yeah, 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 Vermeulen. And all of, all of the amazing things he does, you know, Antarctica, uh, Kilimanjaro, yeah, Everest, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, Namib Desert. And, I mean, those are things I'll definitely love to, yeah. to do. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sweet. Last one. Are you still lifting? Yes. Okay. Well, what are you CrossFit. Now? What are you cleaning now? Uh, so my, are you specific, specifically clean and jerk yeah. in terms of CrossFit? Yeah. Whew, what is what is my max? Um, with four, by the way. With four. <laughs> I, I hear you. Because you know, I can clean and jerk a lot without four. But yeah, I'd say four, about 70. 70. 70. Okay. That's, yeah. that's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Awesome. Melisane, as the alarm bells go off. <laughs> That's it. I want That's to say your thank cue. you so much for your time. No, thank you for having me. It was me. a really awesome conversation. Uh, anyone who wants to get a hold of you or contact you, how can they sure. find you? Uh, so our website is uh, www.moptech.co.za. Uh-huh. So M-O-P-T-E-C-H. Uh-huh. But my direct email is really my first name at moptech.co.za, which is um, M-O-L-E-T-S-A-N-E at moptech.co.za. What does Molitsane mean, by the way? So it doesn't have um, a, a literal meaning, but it has a rich history um, yeah. related to Lesotho and how the Lesotho kingdom um, was founded. Um, so most people know of Moshesha, the mm. first, um, who was you know, the founder of the Lesotho kingdom. But yeah. um, he did that. He actually built the kingdom with the aid of other chiefs. Okay. So we're big on, on clans in terms of tribes. So we have okay. the Lion clan, which are called you know, Bataung. Yeah. Uh, the crocodile Mokubum. clan. Oh, Mokubum. Okay, yeah, so you know a thing or two. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah Mulitsani was uh, he was chief of of the land clan, and he was also quite instrumental in establishing the establishment of of the Lesotho kingdom. With so it's it's almost like Richard or George. Uh, it's a great old name. So yeah, so it's a great king's name. In other yes. Words. Yeah. Yeah. Like George. George yeah, is the king's okay, name. Right. Yeah. 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 All right, dude. No, thank, thank you so you. much, man. All Have right. A great one. Alright. Thank you so much for listening to that awesome conversation with Moritane. Um, and thank you so much for completing the podcast. If you'd like to know more about me and my podcast and just general things in life, you can find me on Instagram at Moritane, which is M0TH3I. Same on Twitter. And my personal website is Moritane.com. That's M-O-T-H-E-I.com. And there you can find out more about my podcast, a lot of the projects that I have, companies I'm currently working with or working on, and a whole host of different unique and interesting ideas that I find. Thank you so much for listening. And let us know what you think in the comments and how we can improve the show and improve your life. Have a good one. Bye.